Today you feel distress in something or about something. Uh, the message to you today is that there is a Redeemer. And uh, we have that great statue in Rio of Christ the Redeemer looking over the city of Rio. And it's a kind of an embodiment of what, of what Job declares there. In this series over eight weeks we're looking at eight different images or pictures of the cross. These themes all overlap with one another. But it's helpful to pull out distinct images and to focus on them week by week. And today our theme is about ransom and redemption. And I think this is a particularly uh, kind of personal and engaging theme, picture of the cross. Uh, we have our three services at the moment, 9.30 and 11.30, Alder Road and 10.30 here. So once I have finished here, uh, Matt Painter is going to tax me up to, to Alder Road at the end. So I won't be able to hang around and say hi to people at the end of the service, but hopefully we feel blessed today by the truth that Christ is our Redeemer. We are used to movies around these themes. Ransom movies are very common. You know the story, a terrorist takes a captive, demands a payment, a hero swoops in, and against all the odds, wins the day. Think about such classics as Die Hard or maybe uh, taken with the famous speech by Liam Neeson, which even if you haven't seen the movie, you know the speech. I can't do the accent, but nonetheless, we'll read the quote. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. <laughs> and I will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, the kidnappers don't say, oh, sorry, mate, that was a terrible mistake. Here's your daughter. Because that would be the end of the movie. Instead, we have an hour and a half of Liam Neeson blowing up Paris. Redemption is similar to Ransom, <coughs> but with some distinctions. And again, Redemption is often a film of movies, a, film, a, a staple of classic movies. It's about a failure coming good, about injustice getting overcome, about second chances. So uh, actually very different types of movie are about redemption. Groundhog Day, which was perhaps the most appropriate movie over lockdown, as we were all stuck in, lock in, in, in Groundhog Day, where the weatherman, Phil Connors, played by Bill Murray, gets to live the same day, again and again and again and again and again until he gets it absolutely right and kind of lives a perfect day. Or the other end of the movie spectrum, Shawshank Redemption, the clue is in the title, where Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, in the end, outsmarts the corrupt system, gets his revenge and gets his freedom. It's a story about redemption. So we have a sense of what ransom or redemption are about because they are common themes in our society. It's about overcoming jeopardy. It's about second chances. It's about unlikely heroes and triumph against the odds. It's about love defeating evil and justice being served. And these themes connect with us powerfully. They connect with us emotionally, which is why they're such great themes for movies. Now, the Bible story culminating in the cross of Christ is also a story of ransom and redemption. So the Bible story is something like those movie stories, but also different, that Jesus is not Bruce Willis or Liam Neeson, 
different kind of story, but those themes are actually Bible themes, themes of ransom and redemption, which we need because we are in jeopardy. This is the opening scene of the movie of human experience, and that's why we talk about this pretty much every week. The human race is in jeopardy. The human race is held captive. We're not actually free. We are held by the unholy diabolical trinity of sin, death, and the devil. And that captivity, that jeopardy which the human race is in, is the cause, the root cause of all the other unfreedoms that we experience, whether it's war or sickness or famine or injustice or abuse or tapeworms or red tape or marketing calls or spam or parking meters or taxes or the European Super League or COVID passports or whatever else it might be that you're weeping and raging over. The root cause is our captivity to sin, death, and the devil as a pope we need to be made to get us off the hook. We need a ransom. And as a hero, we need who can get us free and give us another chance. We need redemption. And so this morning, I want to take a, a sweep looking across the Bible story of what redemption is and what it means for us. First thing to see is that human life is valuable. Human life is valuable. Psalm 49. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Now, the context of this psalm is actually about not being intimidated by people who are rich, powerful, and corrupt. Don't be intimidated by them because actually they're limited. They can't redeem their own lives. They can't ransom their own lives. In the end, death comes to us all, and even the rich, powerful, corrupt, they're going to get taken out as well. So don't be overly intimidated by them because in the end, they are only human. But human life actually is valuable and there is the need for redemption, and there is a redeemer who can rescue us. God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Life is valuable. And this understanding, this comprehension of the value of human life, it's too costly for any mere human to redeem, is fundamental to our understanding of human life and its value. It's why we take position we would on controversial subjects like matters of the beginning and the end of life, things like abortion and euthanasia. We see life as valuable because it's given by God, but we can't save ourselves in the end. We can't save others. Actually, we need a more powerful redeemer, and there is one. There is a redeemer who will redeem me from the realm of the dead and take me to himself. And that means that we can have confidence in this life when we are faced with distress or injustice or other problems that come to us, and it means we have confidence beyond the grave, this hope in a redeemer. As Job says, I know that my redeemer lives. Human life is valuable. We can't rescue ourselves, but there is one who can. Second thing to see is that redemption is personal. In the Old Testament, there's this concept of, a, in Hebrew, a goel, a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer. And uh, if your family, your kin, a member of your family was in trouble, 
the kinsmen had an obligation to save, to ransom, to redeem them. And very often, this was around issues of financial insecurity. A family member falls into debt, into poverty, maybe even into slavery. The kinsman has an obligation to redeem that member of their family from that captivity. This is something which is very personal and also very public because it meant taking on the liability of your family member who had got into this desperate position. Now, in the Old Testament narrative, the best-known kinsman is a character called Boaz, and for him, redemption meant marriage, that uh, he was kinsman to Naomi and Ruth, uh, Ruth the widow daughter-in-law of Naomi. They were in terrible financial position, their life was pretty much an end. They were just going to be condemned to poverty and miserably eking out their few days. Boaz redeems them, which means now rather than lack their supply, that rather than shame, there's dignity. And rather than just dying, there's going to be a legacy because Ruth wonderfully becomes the ancestor of King David. Now, that's a beautiful story of redemption, but God is personally invested in his family in a similar way. The, the great framing story of the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus, where God proclaims about his people held as slaves, let my people go. And at the cross, that was finally and fully declared. The Redeemer gets up close and personal. Fleming Rutledge in her book, The Crucifixion, upon which we're basing much of this series, says... He has not stood back and pulled levers. He has stepped into the situation himself personally. God doesn't just stand in the heavens pulling cosmic levers. He's stepped into the situation personally. And that was embodied in Christ, who literally stepped into the human situation. And this is how Jesus understood his mission. Jesus spoke of himself, Mark 10, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Why does Jesus step into the human experience? In order to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is where we see a deviation from the Hollywood version of the ransom story, because Jesus isn't just the unlikely hero who gets a bit roughed up but never knocked down. No, Jesus doesn't just pay the ransom. Jesus is the ransom. And so the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This means that this ransom, this redemption is very personal. It's very personal to God. It involved the shedding of Christ's blood. It means that it's also very personal to us. Look at what Peter writes. He says, it's you, you know, you know that you were redeemed. It's very personal. You, Christ shed his blood for you. Christ came as your redeemer. Christ came as your ransom. And so the question for each one of us personally is, what are we going to do with that? How are we going to respond? Do we receive from Christ the generosity of the redemption he has made for us? There's a, been a personal action on the part 
of God that requires a personal response from us. The third thing is that redemption is costly. When Boaz redeemed Ruth, that was costly. It involved some financial cost. It also involved a potential risk to his reputation. She was actually a foreign woman who'd married Naomi's son. He'd died. They'd come back to Bethlehem. There's all kinds of complications in that culture socially around that. There was a risk potentially to his reputation, but he's prepared to pay that cost. Now, God's redemption of us is much more costly. It meant the death on, of Christ at the cross. Now, sometimes in our cultural context, people can kind of recoil from this notion of a cost being demanded and a cost having to be paid because it seems so primitive. But if we think about it in terms of crimes, crimes that just demand restitution. You know, when there's been an injustice and it just demands some kind of payment, and the greater the crime or the more personally affected you are, the louder the demand for justice is. Think about events again over this past week as we've witnessed what's been happening in the States around the, 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 the trial of the man who uh, found guilty of murdering George Floyd, all the issues of justice around that and the demands of justice. Or think about Maddie McCann disappeared all those years ago in Portugal. There's still a sense of unanswered justice. What happened? Who was responsible? Or think about great world events at the end of the Second World War, the necessity of the Nazi leaders standing on trial at Nuremberg. Or think about what happened in South Africa at the end of apartheid. Something had to be done. There had to be payment. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a way of that payment being made as people confessed what they had done wrong in the years of apartheid. When a great crime has been committed, there needs to be restitution. Sometimes that's financial payment, sometimes it's public confession, sometimes it's criminal conviction, but without redemption, without payment, there's no freedom. There's no freedom. And in the death of Christ, God himself pays a price, suffers the consequences of our sin. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought at a price. And so we mustn't lose sight of the cost. The cross was not a fiction. It wasn't imagined. It wasn't pretend. The cross and its sufferings were real. God himself intervened to reclaim, to buy back, to ransom his lost creation. And the cost of that was the death of the Son. And that price was unimaginably great because... The adversary is unimaginably great. This diabolical trinity of sin, death, and the devil. To overcome that enemy, a great price had to be paid. Redemption is costly. Fourth thing is that redemption is about getting the girl. It was costly for Boaz to redeem Ruth. Costly for him in terms of money and potentially reputation, but he got the girl, he got a wife. And God's redemption of us is costly, costs the cross. But it was so that God would get the girl. God gets a bride. God gets his church. And that means that we haven't been redeemed so, simply so that we can then carry on in our own little merry individualistic way. No, the price that Christ paid was in order to get his bride, to get his people, to get the church. Boaz, in the end, wanted a wife, and so he redeemed Ruth. 
Christ wanted his people, the church, and so he redeemed us. 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Or think what is written to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ paid a great price to get us and we are called to be faithful in return. This ransom story is not just a ransom story, it's a, it's a love story. It's about Christ paying a great price in order to get his bride, his church, his people. And we, the redeemed, are to live in a way which honors and reflects that price that has been paid. Fifth thing, fifth thing is that redemption was always God's plan. When the human race turned their backs on God, it wasn't as if God suddenly received in the heavenlies a phone call from a terrorist saying, ah, you didn't see this one coming. No, God always knew that he would have to pay a price for our redemption. Scripture is very clear about this. Revelation 13 describes Christ as the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Christ died in a particular place at a particular time. Calvary, on the cross, sometime around AD 33, Easter. But there's a sense in which Christ was slain from the beginning of creation because God always knew that was the action that was going to be required in order to secure the redemption of his people. First Peter again, you know that it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. He was chosen before the creation of the world. This was the plan that God had always planned and intended. Well, think about what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And then you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God was not surprised by human rebellion and turning against him and God had always put a plan into place which would mean our rescue and our redemption. The cross was always God's plan. But then sixthly, it's so important for us to see that Jesus willingly gave himself as our ransom. The cross was not something that was imposed upon Jesus. Now there's a perfect unity between the Father and the Son, the mystery of the Trinity, God, three in one, one as the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, entirely united, entirely one. Father and Son always plans our redemption, our ransom, always planned the cross. And Jesus had the authority and the power to avoid the suffering of the cross. John 10, Jesus says, the reason my Father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus freely, willingly chose the cross. And we need to see again that the grace and the goodness of the Savior 
that he who could have avoided the cross, who could have left us to ourselves and our own deserts, he chose to embrace the cross in order to ransom and redeem us. See, his goodness, his kindness, his grace. And that then has impacts upon us. Seventhly, redeemed people act redemptively. The fact that God is redeemer must shape how we view issues of justice. And when it comes to issues of justice, there's all kinds of people we can make all kinds of appeals to, but ultimately we appeal to the redeemer. It's what Jeremiah says in the book of Lamentations. You, you Lord, took up my case. You redeem my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. Where wrong is done, we make appeal to the legitimate earthly authorities. But ultimately, we make appeal to God because he is the redeemer. He is the one who redeemed our lives and he is the one who will uphold our cause. And that means that in turn, we are to treat others in a redemptive way. We're to treat others justly. That's why God speaks to his people in Deuteronomy 24 and says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember, remember what you were. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, but God redeemed you. God rescued you. You've been treated this way, therefore treat others in a similar way. Don't oppress people. Don't take advantage of the poor and the vulnerable. Act towards them as the Lord has acted towards you. And actually to act unjustly is to pit yourself against God. Proverbs 23 verse 10 do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. In the end, if you act unjustly, if you take advantage of somebody who is poor, vulnerable, weak, in the end, you are pitting yourself against the Lord. We see from this that actually the whole basis of our understanding of what justice is, is is rooted in this understanding of who God is as Redeemer. Actually, in our society, because of our Christian heritage, our whole notion of law and justice is rooted in a sense that there is an ultimate judge and a great Redeemer to whom we have to give account and who has come to us graciously. All that we understand about equality in the eyes of the law, the fact that the poor and the vulnerable are meant to have just as many rights as the rich and the powerful stems from this Christian understanding of God as our Redeemer and what that means for us. Christ is our Redeemer. And without that understanding, everything becomes arbitrary. Where do you get your sense of justice from? Where does the sense of what is right and wrong come from if you don't know that there is a Redeemer who acts justly and demands of us that we act justly in turn? And this means that knowing the Redeemer is good news. It's good news now. You know the Redeemer has rescued you. That affects how we live. That affects the whole shape and health of society. It's good news for life now, and it's good news forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth. As God's people, we are called to act redemptively. We're to speak and to practice redemptive living. We're to be people who are faithful and generous, forgiving and just. Why? Why? Because that's what God is like and that's how he has treated us.
Those who are redeemed act in a redemptive way. And then finally, we see that this redemption is a great victory. Human life is valuable, and redemption is personal, and it's costly, and it's about getting the girl. And it was always God's plan, and Jesus willingly he gave himself for that, and we, in response, are to act in a redemptive way. This redemption means liberation by a mighty power and a great price paid. It means at the cross, Christ did overcome the diabolical trinity of sin, death, and the devil. And so the letter to the Ephesians says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Yes, this is a great victory. This is a great ransom. This is a great redemption. And if we could paraphrase one of those ransom movies and imagine at the cross Jesus speaking to the diabolical trinity of sin, death, and the devil, perhaps something like this. I do know who you are. I do know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I will pay it. But watch out, because I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I have possessed throughout ages uncountable. Skills that make me a nightmare for something like you. I know you won't let my people go, but I will look for you. I will pursue you. I will find you. And I will kill you. At the cross, Jesus got the victory. In the death of Christ, death and sin and the devil were defeated and killed that we might be ransomed and redeemed and stand as free people for the hope now and forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you for your redemption of us, for that unbelievable price you paid to bring us into freedom and to life. Lord, I pray, pray for anyone here today who is feeling distress, maybe feeling captive in some way. I pray for a fresh experience, or maybe for the first time, an experience of the ransoming, redemptive power of God, of your love to enter into hearts again, that we, we might know what it is to stand as free people in the presence of our Redeemer, to know that you are the Lord. You love us. You've given yourself for us. You've paid the price in order to get your church, your people, your bride. And that gives us such dignity and such hope, such freedom, life, and confidence. Thank you, Christ, our ransom, our Redeemer, all that you are, all that you've done. We bless you, Lord. Amen.